0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right circle Hayskin at right point, Klingberg shoots, Block it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone,
1: eight seconds left, Buckley Goodrell after it, time takes down, the lightning
0: with the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow, that's all I can say is wow. What a job by these guys.
2: Never gets old, as we say here on Power Lunch, listening to that series-clinching, cup-clinching call by Dave Mishkin and Phil Esposito. It's a lot of fun as Power Play rolls along here on Lighting Power Play. Greg Linelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Versnick producing... Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio, and we're very excited to welcome in our special guest. That would be Brian Engblom from Sun Sports, of course, former NHL player as well. And nobody better in the business breaking down the Lightning and the League than Brian. And we always appreciate him making time for us. And Brian, great to be with you again. And how's the off season been? Have you recovered from such a long and weird season that it was?
1: Yeah it was long and weird, yes. Um, I still am completely disoriented as to what month it is. never mind what <laughs> day of the week it is. Uh, I don't think that's gonna change for a very long time. Uh, but other than that, you know if that's the worst that it gets, then I think'm I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> So'm uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the the time off. I'm waiting for a little cooler weather, uh, but I'm also anxious to get back and and, and have uh, you know have hockey. Uh, get going again whenever we can get that done.
0: We are going to get into the challenges the Lightning are facing this off season with you, Brian. But at some point, they're going to come out of the other side and we're going to start next season. And the Lightning are going to be the defending champs. And they're going to have, if it's not the same roster, and it's not going to be the same roster, they will have a very similar roster. Most of their players, they have locked up and my question to you off the bat here is regarding the challenge of repeating and in your playing career famously with the canadians early in your career you were part of a team that repeated in fact they won four straight and you were in for the last few of those but you also had back-to-back championships in the minors as we talked about earlier this summer in the farm system for the Canadians in 1976 and 1977. What are the challenges generally for a team to repeat, maybe specifically for the Lightning, in terms of having a target on your back?
1: Well, first of all, Dave, change is necessary. It doesn't matter you know, what era it is. You can go back to the 40s and 50s, or the 50s great Detroit teams and Montreal teams and uh, on into the 60s and then our teams in the 70s. Um, where obviously there was no salary cap, and you could stockpile talent all over the place. Sam Pollock did an incredible job in the '70s, which is why we won the Calder Cup uh, while the Canadians were winning a Stanley Cup. That pretty much says it all. You know, when you do it two two years in a row, um, that's what the organization did. Um, but you still have to have change. You know, guys were moved up from the American League into the NHL team, and th- they had to get a, a bit of a new feel. So that's that's a necessary thing that, that has to happen. I don't care what generation, it'll be true in the future as well. Um, we start there. Um, And certainly now with the salary cap and the position, the Lightning have been in and it's and it's very well documented. Everybody knew uh, Julian Brisebois, you know, didn't pull any punches uh, starting at the beginning of this year and throughout the year asked about it, saying, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. And and uh, it's, you know, uh, they're going to have to get down to it right away, which they have. Um, So as far as the players and the attitude and, and what you do, you know, when you restart is like, I'm, I'm a big believer. We as fans and we in the media, we always use the term, you know, defending Stanley cup champions. Well, I know that we, we never looked at it that way on the teams on the cup teams that I was on that ended up repeating. You get it for the whole summer. And you know, right now the lightning are rolling around in it. And that's the way it should be. I mean, you should use every second of the summer <clears throat> to, to make sure that you enjoy the feeling and relive what it felt like to win. What it took to win, that incredible feeling of accomplishment in the first few moments and hours after you win. That's a very, very key thing, which none of those players will ever forget. And that's why I've always maintained that, of course, everybody wants to win the Cup players who have never won they talk about that but the players who have won before want it in some ways even more because they actually know what the feeling is like you 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 can't describe it you hear that term all the time and it's true you you can't describe that feeling of accomplishment so but once you've done it you you want it again you know it's a uh, it's a it's a drug that you want so that's why i've always maintained that um, as difficult it is now with the salary cap to repeat and has been for the last 20 odd years or so, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's what happened, but we always put it as, okay, once the summer's over and training camp starts, the, the Stanley cup goes back up on the shelf and you go after it again, because you are different because you do have different players on your team. So I'm not a believer. Like, I don't even, I don't like that term, defending the cup, defending the cup. You don't defend the cup because you're different. Every team out there in the league is different. Everything is different. So why treat it the same way and try to defend something the way you were? You're not that anymore. So you put it up on the shelf and you go after it again.
2: Brian Engelhoff joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, I'm sure the Lightning wanted to keep Kevin Shattenkirk and Zach Bogosian. They didn't sign for big money with their new teams Dave mentioned it might have been more about opportunity than anything else. I tend to agree with that. Were you surprised those guys moved on? And What do you make of the back end right now? It was really good last year, wasn't
1: it? Well, it was, and it was very interesting for all of us to watch, You know the way it developed um, right from the start of last season and the, the signings and who ended up playing with whom. Bogosian being one of the biggest surprises coming along. I think for Zach, you know, having never been in the playoffs and then going all the way to the top of the mountain and winning, it's that's incredible. Good for him. He's a really nice young man. Um, and he works hard. And you could see the impact that he had for his age and for Shattenkirk's age, you know, they're gonna they know they're at the end. So they want to accomplish things in, in their own mind, in their own careers. So and of course money is tight here. So I'm sure Shattenkirk was thinking, you know, they're not going to be able to afford me what I deserve to get. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, maybe his last deal could very well be. So, you know, he took the money and great. And he's, he's already won the cup. Apparently, he was very close to signing with Anaheim before he signed here with the Lightning. I didn't know that, but I read that somewhere. So he has an affinity for them and, and he knows they want him. Um, And good for him. It's great. He had a huge impact on the team. I'm a huge Kevin Shattenkirk fan, maybe even more off the ice than I am on the ice. Um, And for Bogosian, same kind of thing. He had a a lot of leadership and just really did a great job of fitting in, not feeling very good about himself uh, when he first came in, having been bought out by Buffalo. So I thought Bogosian did a hell of a job. And especially in the restart, we talked about him an awful lot. He took the job away from Jan Ruta and then, you know, folded back in at the end and wasn't playing as much at the very end when they won the Cup. But his contribution was certainly uh, duly noted uh, by the entire team and the organization. And, you know, he, he he's looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs and saying, hey, it's something I've wanted to do. So he's earned the right to sign where he wants and, and good for him. It'd be interesting to watch him there.
0: So if you take out Bogosian and you take out Shattenkirk, the Lightning still have Jan Rud out there as a free agent that they could resign, but he's a right-handed defenseman. And he could be back, but we'll have to wait and see. Do you think the fact that two of the right Ds have departed in Bogosian and Shattenkirk, that that opens up the door for Cal Foote to take that step forward this this next year?
1: Yes, Absolutely. And I think the, the Lightning have to count on him taking that step. Money-wise, if nothing else, Dave, um, because, you know, he's still on that first contract. And that is obviously a very key factor for the Lightning right now. They have to balance the budget. They have to get uh, cap compliant. The, no ifs, ands, or buts. You don't play. The team is suspended. You know, when, when when the deadline hits, if you're not at the cap or under the cap, you don't play. <laughs> so. That's not good. Uh, they're fully aware of that. So absolutely the door is open. Is that pressure? Sure. But that's what the game is all about. And moving up, if you're Cal foot, this is his time. He's, he's needed some time to get used to the pro level game, to make some adjustments. He has shown that he's progressed. I mean, they had him around the team, right, In the re, uh, from the restart on. Uh, so he got to see and experience an awful lot. That's really valuable stuff. For him to see that and feel that, what the playoffs is like. Making the team is one thing in in, fall, in the fall, but you know, being around it and watching it, I, I was one of those guys. I know exactly what that feels like. That's how my career started or, or moved up. Almost exactly what Cal Foot is just getting into now. A very good team that didn't have room for him yet, probably thinking all along, hey, I can play in the NHL. Some of the guys that I played with and against played in the NHL this year. So he has mixed feelings about, hey, I should be there. I should be there. But then he looks at the roster and sees eight or nine defensemen on the big team and no room for him. He understands it, but still doesn't like it. I know exactly what that feels like. And there were times where I thought about asking to be traded. And I don't know if Cal Foote felt that way. His dad, his dad is a, a terrific defenseman. You know, he had a great career with Colorado, won cups. Um, so he could lean on him. Um for, you know, feedback. Uh, And I'm sure he did. But, you know, the fact is, he's still a member of the Lightning. This is his time. The door is open. Absolutely. There's a spot there for him. And the organization, in fact, needs him to take that spot, in my opinion. They need him to. I'm sure they're not going to say that because they always try to take pressure off of young players. But they need him to do it. If he can't, it it will be a setback for the organization because money-wise, it, it, that's the most important thing. They need that slot and they, he should be ready. So I fully expect Cal Foote will be there. I like what I saw from from him. Um, he'll have a, a ton of time here to work in the off season and you know get faster and quicker and the, the rest will be experienced. Uh, so I fully expect to see Foot in the lineup next year.
0: So the Tyler Johnson situation, we know what's happened to this point. The Lightning asked him for some teams that he would be open to going to. They couldn't work out a trade. They put him on waiver, so any team could have taken him without having to give anything back to the Lightning, and he went through waivers. And we've discussed this, Brian. It seems like the Lightning have one of three paths to to go forward here regarding Johnny. One would be that they have to sweeten the pot and throw in a pick or a prospect or maybe some yeah. combination thereof. A. B. The landscape around the league changes so that in October, when they were initially shopping him, maybe some teams were looking at some other guys. And as we get closer to the start of next season, whatever that is <laughs> – Those teams' needs may change or they may feel more of an urgency to to circle back to the Lightning, in which case maybe they could move him without having to sweeten the pot, or they get a couple of teams maybe bidding for him. I don't know the likelihood of that, but that's certainly a possibility. Or C, they just go back to the drawing board, and Tyler Johnson's on the Lightning next year, and they look to move salary elsewhere. Do you have a sense of, of the likelihood of any of those three things transpiring?
1: Uh, no, I'm as interested as, as you are. Um, I, first of all, it's gotta be a very strange feeling for Tyler right now to think that I was put on waivers and nobody picked me up, but also at the same time, he understands I'm sure that, uh, you know, it's just the scenario with the with the uh, salary caps and, and teams can afford to be really picky and every team has their own problems. And so his, his $5 million a year AAV is the problem. It's not Tyler Johnson, the player. But at the same time, if I'm Tyler, I'm thinking, boy, this is a little shock to the system. So he gave them some teams, which he didn't even have to do. But he understood. And I think it was, you know, it was also something I'm sure the players talked about as the playoffs went on, that we are not going to be all together. We're not stupid. We, you know, Everybody knows some of us are going to be gone. And some of those guys, including Tyler, knew he was one of those guys. So this is not news to him. He got to win the cup. Good for him. Great for him. He's been a tremendous asset. It's business, not personal. So I, at the same time, I've got to be thinking, like, I was a little surprised about how all this has unfolded, too. I assumed there would be an early deal for Tyler Johnson, and that hasn't happened. I expect that, I think you said the first scenario where they have to sweeten the pot, I think that's what's going to have to happen. They're going to have to add draft picks or another player in order to make, uh, to make a deal uh, with someone. And that's just, you know, the marketplace right now. So, and he's obviously not the only one they have to, they have to move at least one other uh, high salary guy or, or a couple uh, of other sort of medium salary guys. Now we can speculate all we want, but, these deals, even in the best kind of scenarios, uh, in other years, uh, deals more often than not have been worked on for weeks, and then the timing looks like it was instantaneous. And that includes the draft. Maybe there are more quick deals at the draft, you know, than than at any other time because you know certain players become available. There are other factors in the amateur draft, and all of a sudden the team goes, "Geez, that kid's really still available. Can't believe that." And it does happen. And then, you know, they call time and deals get made quickly. But most, I, I, I say 90%, whatever, for whatever reason, I'll just say 90%. Deals have been talked about by GMs constantly, some of them for months. And then all of a sudden they, they pull, pull the trigger because it's the right time to do it. So Tyler Johnson has been talked about, I'm sure, by Julian Breesbaugh and the management with many teams around the league for the last several months. Uh, but, you know, the other teams are in the driver's seat right now. So Julian is going to have to uh, be patient, Um, and it's going to be, you know, a game of poker, right? Other teams are going to try and get him for, you know, as little as possible or or get him to sweeten the pot in a very big way. Um, So we just have to wait and see on that. Meanwhile, other deals have to get done too, which will change the outcome of what Tyler Johnson's ultimate deal is.
2: Brian Anblom joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Brian, to that point with Tyler Johnson, with the remaining players that might be moving on because the team needs to deal with their cap situation, who can they least afford to lose? They want to keep all of them, of course, in a perfect world. And we talk so much about which guy needs to go because of the cap number, kind of like we just did with Tyler Johnson, but we don't talk too much about the guy they can least afford to lose. Who is that player right now for the Lightning in your opinion?
0: Uh
1: hmm. I never looked at it that way. The least afford to lose. Did uh, you hear Gord? Victor you Hedman, hear Gord, Victor Hedman? Well,
2: I, I mean, guys like you know Gord, Colborne, Palat, Johnson—guys oh, okay. that you hear that okay. might be that might be ready to go because they just they have to make a tough decision. And it seems like those are the players that we keep hearing out of that lot of players right. that we've been hearing about. Is, is there one guy you, you okay. sit back and say, "Hmm, if if they." Can keep him in some way. That's certainly the one guy I don't want to see them shed salary cap space moving
1: forward. Boy, that's a that's a tough question. Um, because we're we're dealing with in my mind Tyler Johnson, Kalorn, Yanni Gord, Andre Palat, probably correct for four correct. right there, and and those guys have. You know, at least some control, uh, if not, you know, total control on no trade deals. So just like Tyler, they'd have to go to him and say, you know, we need to move you, you know, give us some teams sort of thing. Um, and I was just thinking about this while we were talking about Tyler Johnson. Tyler did not have a great playoff. And, you know, his year was, was OK, but for his numbers, uh, you know, compared to the past, not as good. So at the same time, he's maybe not as saleable as he was a year ago or two years ago. On the other hand, you have Andre Palat, who is incredibly saleable right now. A fantastic playoff. Outstanding. You know, he goes there and takes Steven Stamkos' position, if you want to put it that way. And, you know, all the goals that he scored. We all love Pally because we get to see him every day, right? And we know even when he's not scoring. You know what, uh, a key cog he is in the wheel because he can play anywhere and he's a 200 foot player. But if he's the saleable one right now, what if other teams are going, Yeah, we don't want Tyler Johnson, we want that guy. So, can you afford to turn that down? You can't afford to turn down anything in my mind if you're Julian Breesbot, Do you want to move Andre Pilat? No. So, I guess if I had to choose right now, I would say it was Andre Pilat to answer your question. But at the same time, this is, th- this is tough business. And if a deal comes along where they get something back, they may have to go to Pally and say, look, we don't want to do this, but you see what's happening. And, you know, they don't explain everything because, you know, managements don't do that. But here's what we're up against. And, uh, you know, would you give us a list of, of teams and see if it fits in? There are so many factors here that could happen. Um, as to who gets moved and who doesn't, uh, because other teams obviously have a lot to say about what's going on. So I would believe just about anything with the Lightning right now, to be honest with you, about who gets moved or who doesn't get moved, because this is some serious business, and they have to to clear some space.
0: And we've talked about that quite a bit, as has Julian, that the Lightning have to clear some space. I'm wondering, Brian, how creative can the Lightning get on the other side of this, in terms of getting their RFAs re-signed, specifically Sorelli, Sergachev, and Chernak, I know that there's the expectation that they're gonna they're gonna offer those guys bridge deals, and those bridge deals might be three years, similar to what a lot of the other guys have gotten, whether it's Point or Vasilevsky or Kucherov in previous off seasons where they've gotten three-year bridge deals. Do you think, given this? very unique situation the lightning can get creative to the point that they can lessen that term even more and save a little bit more money than what maybe is expected that these guys are going to be getting if it were a three-year bridge deal you know what i'm saying yes uh <clears throat> again
1: so many crazy factors it's all well and good to say and first of all they've set the table really well i think because of the bridge deals that they have signed in the past actually you can go back to steven Stamkos signing you know for less than market value and uh victor hedman signing for less than market value when he signed to to stay and play here and with the team etc cetera, etc cetera. then the Braden point you know bridge deal the the kucherov bridge deal um so they've set the table really well in that respect <clears throat> as far as Uh, not jumping into seven-year deals right away with young guys so you know they can say to the agents and the players look this is what we do and the evidence is there and that's important because if you don't have that evidence then and and you're dealing with agents you know who are clawing for money here and uh, also trying to be realistic it's not a great time to be a free agent let's face it because Uh, of the salary cap being flat the next couple of years so if there is a long-term deal for any of those guys it'll be back end loaded after the salary cap is going to go up but that might be in their third or fourth year deal if they signed you know a six or seven year deal or even longer I don't think any of those guys I don't think they're going to sign seven or eight year deals because the landscape is changing they're all really good players Uh, you know um, we're, we're talking about you know guys like Sorelli and Sergeyev who are going to have incredibly talented long careers, you know, barring injury. Chernak is at a level notch below that in my mind, because he doesn't have the offense of of Sergeyev and it's not likely to change at this point. Um, So he's to me a a little half notch below the other two when it comes to where the money is going to go. And so, anything pretty much is out there but if one of these agents or players decides no this is you are underpaying me and i know there's demand out there and i'm willing to move then you've got a problem and they may play real hardball and say i want my money now you don't know what's going we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and sometimes what you know Deals that you know look to the public, and we look and go, what the hell happened there? And then you know sometimes information leaks out a year later or a couple of years later, and go, ah, okay, now it starts to make sense. There are so many of these factors that happen, and it's out of Julian Breesaw's control too. Now I'm not saying that is what's happening, but those possibilities get there. I mean, it's money, right? And every uh, you guys have looked at, you know, the look at the Petrangelo situation in St. Louis, right? I don't think a lot of people saw that happening. Or even Tori Krug. You know, these guys are their top level D men, and they end up changing teams. And Petrangelo's one, I guess, was the most shocking. But in some ways, I think Armstrong did a hell of a job there in St. Louis. Because obviously, the talks had broken down, and Petrangelo was over whatever the number. Like, just from the outside, it looked like somewhere around the high sixes or, or low sevens is maybe where St. Louis wanted him. He wanted to go into the eights and nines and he got what, 8.8. And then of course, term figures into that too. So, and then it was like, we don't have a deal. We don't have a deal. Well, they could have, the organization could have really gotten stuck. Tory crew could have re-signed with Boston or gone somewhere else. And then Petrangelo could have opted out and gone to Vegas. They knew darn well he was talking to Vegas, right? So, they could have gotten stuck there and got now we've got to sign him. Now he's got all the leverage. So when they couldn't make a deal, they signed tory Krug at a number that obviously fit for them and said, we can get along with that because they have other good players like Pareko and, and Dunn, who's a terrific young player, and say, we're going to move on. And I think Petrangel got caught and his, you know, his jaw dropped to the ground. It's business. And I think that's a great example. So if any of the three players that we're talking about, Sergachev and Sorelli and Chernak, if, if, if your agent or you're thinking that you're going to hold somebody over a barrel, be careful. Watch that Petrangelo situation.
2: It's a, a really good segue into the question I have for you. Brian Englund joining us here on Power Lunch on Lighting Power Play. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Brian, we saw Sergachev really take his game to another level this past year. Brayden Point, I think we could have made that case as well, especially in the playoffs. He was dynamic, and of course, Andre Palat was really fantastic. You need that, amongst other things, in order to have a chance at winning the Stanley Cup. My question is, who needs to show that same type of progression for this upcoming season in order for this Lightning team to have another chance at winning a cup? Let's face it, any improvement is not going to come from the outside with free agency. It has to come from within again.
1: Yeah, um, I would say Anthony Sorelli. We all love him. We love his progression. Uh, Similarities to Braden Point. They are in some ways the same in that they've been very responsible players, have an understanding of the game at at a terrific level at a very young age. Um, And then the rest is offense. You know, where can it come from? Uh, I think Sorelli is capable of more. I don't know if he can get the Braden points offensive production, but if he gets that scoring confidence and scoring, I mean, in general playmaking that ends up in goals, making great plays like Braden does and certainly cashing in and becoming a better goal scorer than he is now. um, I would say he would be the guy that jumps to that next level. He's got the brain for it. He's got the skills. I mean, his tenacity is unquestioned. That's, you know, probably the, the one thing we talk about with Anthony more than, more than any other thing. Uh, but his, his knowledge of the game and being on the right side of the puck and all the cliches that I could throw in there of evidence. That's why he gets as much ice time as he does. And in his mind, he can say, well, you know, I end up a matchup guy a lot. And that's true. And he filled his role terrifically. A huge reason why the Lightning won the Stanley Cup is Anthony Sorelli and his line and where they fit in on the team. Now, the team is going to look different, as we've talked about, coming in next year. So, Anthony, are, are, are you going to stay in that same role and never change? And this does happen. And sometimes it's the team that puts a guy in a, in a slot and goes, okay, OK, we got him. He's that guy. Um, and then sometimes it stifles a player. I've seen that many, many times. And to be honest, I because I would put myself in that category going a long ways back. But ha- having said that, that's why I have an understanding when I look at players around the league year over year that, that players get to a level and then they plateau uh, because that's what the team needs them to do. And that's where you're used. And that's what the expectations are. You also have players who... Feel that coming and say, no, I'm not that player. I'm tired of this. Move me on. I want to be me, and I want to play somewhere else. So it, it's an interesting dynamic, organization versus individual. But Sorelli has the capabilities. He's got that it factor about scoring big goals. Look at his, you know, his history with Memorial Cup being the huge star uh, before he ever turned pro. Uh, the goals that he scored this year, including in the playoffs. Um, and his two-way play, does he make that next step and become a 30-goal scorer, which I think has possibilities for him, and still be a really good two-way player like, uh, like Brayden Point is? A lot will be where he slotted, um, what his confidence level is, and does he become a next-level scorer? Look, Brayden Point, I, re- I still remember his rookie year, making some shots from right in front of the goal. Prime real estate and the goaltender making a save. And I remember one or two times where he was just fixated for a second or two afterwards, and I could read his, you know, the wheels turning in his head saying, oh, my goodness, he saved that. I used to score on that shot, right? So he had to learn that, you know, these NHL goalies are good. So I'm just using that as an example. Now you see what Braden does and how he scores, how he fine-tuned. Playing with, with Nikita Kucherov, all these players have a huge um, advantage playing with Cooch because he is so dialed in uh, on the dynamics of scoring and what it takes, how you shoot, how you pass, take advantage of that and move forward with it. And I think Sorelli's that guy who can go to that next level and say, I have to hit that spot, that four inch by four inch spot, not that one foot by one foot spot in the top corner. And that makes that's what makes great goal scorers.
0: Last one from me, Brian, and it's about Braden Point. And I'm going to preface this by saying we understand Braden Point has, has played at a very high level throughout his NHL career. But having said that, he found a new higher level, I think it's safe to say, during these playoffs. And I'm wondering, do you think that that level is sustainable for Point? In other words, has he just found another gear in his game, or is that – he found a zone and was able to maintain it during the playoffs, and that's hard to sustain.
1: Uh, it's it's certainly hard to sustain to sustain because you're talking about the cream of the crop in the entire league. And it was funny; I read a couple of comments from players and and uh, observers out west saying, "Well, we knew Braden Point was good, but we had no idea he was that good." which is interesting coming from within the league because it just shows you, you know, it's really hard to get to know players around in the opposite conference. We just don't see them very much, right? And there's 31 teams. So now, you know, he's looked at at another level. So it will be even that much more difficult for Braden next season. He and Cooch are at that elite level where other teams plan on them right off the bat. Having said that, The only thing I think would ever hold Braden point back is injuries. And I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that because look, he was obviously bit nicked up again in these playoffs, even though he had surgeries at the beginning of this season, that was what a year ago now. Um, And he still had issues, but you could see the difference in his skating, you know, when the season started, you know, this past season. Um, And then during the break, I think he got a chance to get healthy. And then obviously something else happened again. So, for him, because of his size and because of, you know, the, the groin and, and abdominal injuries that he's already had, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed because wear and tear on great athletes is something they don't have any control over. So uh, has he got the will? Has he got the brain? Has he, has he got all of that? He's got everything. And he's got the partner in Kucherov and they are hand in glove, uh, you know, one of the top combos in the league. And they've established that even in Stanley Cup finals and so he can handle pressure as well. The only thing that would be an if factor for Brayden is keeping him healthy and keeping that body together because he is a fantastic player.
2: Brian, last question for me. Did Bill Foley let the cat out of the bag last week when he said on a radio station in Las Vegas that the league is going to start hopefully around February 1st? It needs to have 40 to 50% capacity when it comes to attendance and that there will be a strong possibility of having an all Canadian division because of the border restrictions. Those were pretty specific points. And I can't imagine Foley just made that up on the fly.
1: No, I'm sure he didn't. Um, There has been, obviously they talk all the time uh, and there have been, you know, innuendo and, and rumors out there for quite some time. And, Uh, The people in our business who are experts at uncovering stories, (laughs) you know, have keep their ear to the ground all the time and talk to, you know, everybody from agents to GMs to owners. So we've heard these things before and he just came out and and said them. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) I think that, you know, understandably, Gary Bettman and and the league is hazy about it because they don't want to set deadlines that they have to spend so much time you know, backtracking and answering questions. Well, you said this, you know, it's like politics, right? Well, you said this four months ago, and now it's not happening. Why? Well, you know, I wouldn't want that headache either. So they're trying to have a plan uh, because everybody needs a plan. GMs need a plan, probably first and foremost. The players certainly do. You have to get on schedule. We're going to try and start January 1. That's what Gary Bettman said, right? And a lot of that, my understanding is that, because at some point in the past, there was talk from somebody at, at whatever level in the Canadian government saying that the border will probably be closed till January 1. That is a gigantic factor, of course, for the NHL. It's a huge factor. If the border's not open, you've got to have a whole different plan. And so I'm sure the NHL does have two or three, maybe even more plans. I don't know. But that's where it starts. But it would make sense that... If anything is going to be even close to normal, and you're going to travel to cities, if you are, the border has to be open. If it's not, then you have to have a Canadian division as one of those plans. Canadian division, maybe two others in the U.S., set up maybe two or three or four bubbles. or what? I've heard all those scenarios, too, because they have to. Um, As far as the number, you know, uh, Mr. Foley or the league or whatever, the owners certainly know, they obviously, they want one hundred percent capacity, but I'm sure some of them have said i'm not even interested in opening the doors until we get to x percentage of people in the seats because I can't make any money, and I'm not going to spend another year bleeding money so I, I, you know I might as well not even start so those questions obviously go on because they're the ones with the pocketbook, and they say yay or nay, and it starts with them and ends with them so um, is it possible that it could be february instead of january of course it could anything is possible they want to betman said we're going to try and play 82 games of course because they want to fulfill that tv deal as best they can that's big currency even though it's a lot less than the other sports it's big money and that's why you know what happened this year happened because at least they could get the tv revenue so they need fans in the seats. Our sport is well known that it thrives on the actual people in the seats in many ways more than other sports. So um, if, if that's all true, then maybe we are looking at 50 or 60 games, whatever, and starting in February. I hope not, but uh, Mr. Foley knows a lot better than I do. I know that
2: and we appreciate him dropping that news this past week because it gave us something to talk about. <laughs> so that was a lot of uh, a lot of fun speculating. Well, Brian, as always, it's great catching up with you. We always appreciate it. I'm sure we'll catch up with you soon, and uh, stay cool if you can because I don't think this weather's going to break anytime soon, unfortunately.
1: No, uh, it better soon.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm confident
1: <laughs> that it will just another another few days. I keep looking That's over right. the horizon.
2: Brian, great job, buddy, as always. Thank you again.
1: Thanks, fellas. Take
2: care. All right, that is the great Brian Engblom. Always appreciate his analysis. Tomorrow on the program from Sportsnet, Elliot Friedman is going to stop by. He's been listening, and he wants to chime in. I can't blame him. We'll do that tomorrow. Thanks to Dave Mishkin. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow at noon on Lightning Power Play.